Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 61 and we are going treasure hunting again, Ronan. Oh, it's very exciting, Sean. About twice a year, we take a trawl through the upcoming releases, the games that have caught our eye for some reason. Now, they don't have to be the games that we're most excited about, just something about them looks unique or different and we want to chat about them. And Sean and I have run the rule over them, but we have not played them. We say this every time we do a treasure hunt to make sure that people still get a little bit upset with us. We haven't played these games. We're just going to tell you what we think, whether we're excited. We're basically going to guess as to whether they're going to be any good or not. And we're going to call them a treasure or a trap. And you can probably work out what means what there. Indeed, indeed. And we, yeah, we can't stress enough that we really haven't got anything other than what is out in the press, in the media to judge these by. So quite often we're wrong, Ronan. Uh, more often than that. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> also, uh, one of our listeners has asked for a shout-out. We haven't really done these before, but always happy to oblige. And it's to Tom Randall, who I actually sold my copy of Above and Below to, Ronan. Is this a shout-out or a commiserate? <laughs> the only thing that was holding me back selling it before was you, what you said to me after our very first play is that you'll sell this without ever playing it again. <laughs> I really wanted to prove you wrong, but... Treasure on that prediction, it boom. Was, it was a little bit disappointing, but Tom really likes it, and he's actually adapted it slightly to make the game longer, which is really interesting. But yeah, the shout-out is basically to Tom and his girlfriend, Nikki. He wanted just to wish her luck living with a game addict like him in their new home. So, all the best, Tom and Nikki. Indeed, all the best, good luck. And Above and Below has got great reviews, and certainly some people have loved it. I think Sean and I just felt it kind of fell between two stalls. It did, yeah. It just wasn't enough game. Literally, when it was on the table, it was falling between two stalls. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't enough game for me, and I, it'd be a long time before I could introduce my son to it. So, it, yeah, it really did fall between those two platforms as children's game, adults game. I don't know where it sits at all. So It's a Lowcat game, so it was very pretty. Very pretty, yes. So... Onwards and upwards, but before we go any further, Sean, give the other shout-outs that aren't Tom and Nicky. Indeed, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. You can go there for gaming podcasts of fantastic quality. We're also very proud members of 2d6.org. Please go there for written audio and visual gaming goodness. So we're going to cover 14 games in this episode and 14 games in the next episode, but we won't be going into them to any particular depth because we just don't know. We're just guessing, Sean, guessing. We are absolutely out on a limb. I like it. Let's limb away. And starting off with a tiny, tiny little game, which I'm sure no one's ever heard of, Star Trek Ascendancy. This is coming this summer from Gale Force 9. Now, Gale Force 9 have got a decent track record. They are the company that almost single-handedly are putting IPs in a bright, shining light. They've done the likes of Spartacus and Sons of Anarchy and Homeland and other themed games, and they've done them well. And this is by the same set of designers, Aaron Dill et al. In Star Trek Ascendancy, it's going to come with three player races, and each player is going to start off with their home planet and haven't really started to explore space yet. Obviously, you're then going to be trying to explore out of your home area, you're looking to build your civilization, and it's all about trying to get to a particular cultural level. The Ascendancy name is not just a clever name 
or it is a clever name, or it's a name anyway, and it's about ascending from your humble beginnings. Now, the board itself is going to be modular. You're going to start off with a planet, and as you explore, you're going to set up routes, you're going to discover other planets, and quite possibly, and probably, you're going to encounter each other on the board. I said you've got to get to a certain cultural level to win. I think one of the interesting bits about the game looks like each of the races is going to get to that cultural level via its own ways. They've got an individual deck of events, an individual set of techs, and for example, while you can go different ways, or depending upon what you discover and what resources you find, the Klingons that come in the base game are going to score points more readily for warfare, although not be completely tied into that particular area, if you like. I said the Klingons, the other two that come in the game, the races, are the Federation, obviously, and the Romulans. The Romulans being good at tech and the Federation, I guess, looking to explore and what have you. So it is a three-player game at launch only. And it does look like it's probably going to be best with three or more. How fast on the heels of the initial launch, there's going to be the Ferengi and the Cardassians coming out with them. There's also talk of somehow the Dominion, the Borg and the Andorians in the works, whether it be as NPCs or PCs, we're not too sure at the moment. So it's about going out. There are opportunities for diplomacy between kingdoms. Uh, there's opportunities for trade. Obviously, with the Ferengis out there, there'd have to be for them to make, try and make some money to get their culture up. And obviously, with war... There's things like when you go to warp speed with your set of ships, you're going to be able to disappear from the map and pop up again within a certain range. There's some unpredictability there. Very much a high strategic level game. Now, it's going to be selling at $100, which usually translates to a, a MSRP of around £80 over here. So it is going to be pricey, especially if you want more than three players to play. But before I say any more, Sean... 40 ships for each race, exploring, theme. Has it rung your bell? Oh, it's it's broken the bell. I've had to get a replacement bell and it broke that one too. It's absolutely singing to me, Ronan. The mind is boggling with this one. I Even just the way you set up the table, it, it's, it depends on where you place your bases, is how epic the game becomes or how long the game is and what you do in the game. So you can start all really close together or you can get a massive table, as you said, with all those expansions thrown in and start on the far corners of that table and you're going to have an epic Twilight Imperium style just space fest. The way that game sort of develops itself depending on just that tiny little thing where you start your bases it's amazing just what you said Ronan about the Borg and a couple of the other ones the Dominion coming in I think I've I heard an interview with uh, one of the head honchos from Gale Force 9 and I think they're looking at the Borg as a, an NPC and coming in and just making their universe harder to navigate and doing sort of nasty things to people popping up it's here just and there just a big cube to put your snacks on <laughs> could a, la be, could a lazy Borgson in the middle of the table. My only, uh, my only slight. A lazy well, Susan of nine. Why did I not think of that? Oh dear. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Your only concern, apart from that joke. Do I have to go and put you on the naughty <laughs> step again? Susan of nine. I'm sticking with that. Anyway, moving on. The only concern I had was the actual, the way the board actually works, or the plaguing area works, is is having you have these little strands out from planetary areas, and and the, you form your sort of trade links and your your routes to the planets. It doesn't look that good to me if it was on a on like a white table or something like that. I think you're going to have to have the right playmat under it as well to to give you that effect. But other than that, to be honest, I'm really excited about this one, Ronan. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest problem it's going to face is that it now needs to deliver. Because they've promised so much, and they've promised Epic, and especially with the IP, are they going to be able to make it as deep as the game will need to be to fill up to the promise that gamers are expecting now? Now that you've said this huge thing, trade, diplomacy, war, build, you know, over it's over decades the game has played rather than short missions. They've whetted the appetites. It's going to have to be something quite juicy to make that. At the moment, it is all about that premise. It's all about the bling, the fact that it's a big box, they've made it look nice. It's a treasure. I'm going to get it. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And I think that they are going to be able to deliver. They haven't hit home every time with me, Gale Force 9, but I'm yet to play a bad game from them. Sean, treasure or trap on Star Trek Ascendancy? It's a definite treasure for me, right? For, <laughs> for all the points you mentioned. And it's a funny one because when Star Wars Rebellion finally decided to come out eventually, and I was really excited about it, that £80 price mark has actually put me off buying it. I will get it eventually, but I don't know if it's going to put me off this one. I think there seems to be a lot of excitement with this one. So, um, I, yeah, I kind of feel treasure. like paying £80 for just a two-player game almost makes me pull back. Whereas with this, you, you know, it's me three, four, five players. I can somehow justify that more to myself. Because I'm like you. I was well excited for Rebellion, and I haven't got it yet. And I might get it this month, or I might not. I don't think I will at at eighty pounds. I just don't think I will because I don't know how often I'll get it played. Go, go to Board uh, Game this... Guru, mate. We'll give our mate Paul a bit of a plug there. <laughs> Sixty-five quid. There you go. That's for you, Paul. Bargain. <laughs> right, Sean. Lead us onwards away from Star Trek and Star Wars. Okay, so from one very famous IP to another very famous IP. It is beyond Baker Street, and it plays two to four players. Z-Man Games have picked it up, but it was previously actually web-published. Designed by Robin Lees, who's uh, only done a couple of bonus tiles in his his past, from what I can see. And Steve McKenzie, who did another web-published Sherlock Holmes game called uh, Sherlock Holmes The Detective Story Game. You know what this you're getting game, that title. <laughs> it's, it's, it leaves it all on there, doesn't it? This is basically consulting detective meets Hanabi, where players are trying to solve a crime and in which they need to individually work out three leads, the suspect, the motive, and the opportunity. The leads are represented by cards with a number value and a clue type. The clue types are tracks, clues, documents, and witnesses. The players are going to hold a hand of cards with the clue types numbered 1 to 6 and they're going to need to play cards of the matching type to each lead and must exactly match the number on the lead to be successful. The catch is that, as in Hanabi, players can't see their own cards and must rely on simple clues from the other players to guide them in what to play and to where. For example, the other player could point to all the number 3 cards in your hand. Or all the track cards in your hand. So there's, they, these are all three. So you, know, you don't know what they are, but you know that they're the number three. So very simple. Very very similar to Hanabi. To make life harder, you're going to be up against Holmes himself. And he will get closer to solving the crime with each clue you give each other. And there is also what is called the impossible track. And this is the track where players must discard cards to... A Again, exactly match the given number before the case can be solved. Lastly, there are investigator cards that are being thrown in, and these are going to give you special, unique 
powers to players that are optional and could be added in should the players wish. And that, in a nutshell, Ronan, is beyond Baker Street. Is Sherlock Holmes going to be as much of a pain in the arse as he is in Consultant Detective? Oh, you just want to you just want to go round to two two one. How many times Baker do we have Street? to mention this? That's how annoying it is. Oh, he's so annoying. He's so annoying. Anyway, anyway. so Hanabi with a theme, maybe a bit quicker. I like that. I think that Hanabi was quite dry for me. It never really appeared to be fireworks. It was just a dry abstract puzzle you were playing. I'm not Hanabi's biggest fan, as people probably know. I've mentioned it before. This one has got a good reception as a print and play though. Although there are some issues, there are reports of unsolvable setups and slight kinks. Now, when you're playing a print and play, you can forgive that. You say, look, okay, that's going to happen. The, you know, the person's given this for me for free. I'm happy to work things out and house rule it. Now that Z-Man's picked it up, they're going to need to tweak it a little bit. We know Zev has left Z-Man. We hope the people that are still there, you know, we're going to have some faith in them. That they're going to just smooth off those edges. Is what you want from a big publisher when they pick up a print and play. It's not a must-buy for me, just because I'm not a huge fan of the type of game. But I am willing to be convinced. I like that it's got a short playtime and you can just go through it again and again and again and, and learn as a group. So I am going to go for a treasure. If you think Hanabi with a theme and you like the Sherlock Holmes idea, then this for me looks like it, it's got such a good reception already that with just one or two tweaks, I think it's going to be a really good game. I'm actually quite shocked. I thought that because it is so like Hanabi, I thought you would probably bulk at it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but the theme will help and... I, yeah. I can't say Hanabi's a bad game. I just, I just don't think it's any fun. So I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Hanabi. I think it's fun. I, no, I, I think there is fun no. in it. I think it's interesting. There's interest in it, but not fun. I don't know. I've, I've enjoyed my games. Sit a bit. there, not to the point where I want to play it while you're trying all to the time. memorize things. <laughs> so okay, the steam, the steam, the theme is definitely stronger here than in Hanabi, and it makes the game sort of. A little bit easier to decipher when you're first picking it up, so that's a good thing. Although the theme actually does work in the game, I think it's still quite abstract when you boil it down. You're just looking at gleaning the right number of combinations to play. There are parts that I really do like where you can play the wrong cards to each of these leads, and they're going to increase the value of the lead. So if you don't have the right cards, you can play a wrong card, increase the value, and then maybe you will, you will have the, the right numbers to play. So there's a bit more wiggle room maybe than in a Hanabi. Uh, I'd much rather play this than Hanabi. But it really doesn't hold much desire for me. I think it has all the ingredients to be a big success and it will appeal to people who did like Hanabi. I didn't mind Hanabi, but it's, this game's not really in my wheelhouse, so I'm going to say it's a trap. But oh. I, 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 like, like you, Ronan, I, I will be... I'm putting myself out there to be proven wrong. I'm shocked. <laughs> I reckon... I'm going to another prediction. I think you're going to buy it. Because I think the 20 minute, 15 minutes of playtime, you're just going to go, oh, I have to try it. I just have to see. Anyway, we'll move on. I think I'll try it. I'll definitely try it. I don't know if I'll buy it. I was kind of relying on you to buy it so that I could try it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's something else. Have I made this too obvious? Okay. (laughs) Moving on to the third game for today. This is going to be a quick one because we have very few details about it. But if I say the two words, legendary and Firefly, in that order, you know what's coming. It's a legendary game. It's based on their encounters system. So it's not going to be the free-for-all of the Marvel. It's going to be much more structured. It's based on the Firefly IP, which I'm sure you all know what it is. So I'm expecting some structured scenarios here, particular characters in and out, following a storyline, a increasing threat level 
so that you actually feel like as you improve your deck, you're getting more threats coming at you. The thing with all legendary games is they live and die on their license. So we have a good idea what it's going to be like. Yes, they might bring one or two new things in. I felt that Alien has done better than Predator simply because Alien's a better IP than Predator. And that's the only difference I can really see in there. I think Predator's probably got more in the box, to be honest. Therefore, is Firefly enough to make you interested in getting this legendary game system game, Sean? I think you've nailed it right ahead there. It's uh, all about the IP. And for me, Firefly is something I absolutely adore. Uh, still reeling in shock that they they cancelled it as if every true geek is. We must attack Fox for all they're worth. So yeah, it's all about the IP for me. I hope they fix the issues that I had with Alien in that you get the scenarios where people can be excluded from the game very early on. I would hope that they uh, fixed that problem. Go back and listen to our uh, full review for details. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, is there enough characters that in the Firefly universe that you would recognise to make it interesting with all the different characters coming in? I don't know. But I suppose you could say that about Alien. There's hardly any characters you recognise in Alien. So they, they managed to do that one. But um, yeah, yeah, it's something I'll probably look at, Ronan. So it's going to be a treasure for me. Nothing on earth can stop me from getting this game. This is a full-on treasure. Get out of my way. That's it. Even a cuddle with Steven Gerrard. Steven, man. He left us. <laughs> Got into LA and he's not been that great. What can I say? The magic's gone. Now, if you said Brian O'Driscoll, I would have been tempted. Oh, no, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to show my hand completely. <laughs> <in the> first... <laughs> Full bore Brian O'Driscoll cuddling. Okay. <laughs> Leave me to my reverie. Move on. Okay, so another game we don't know a whole lot about, and it's one of those ones that I sort of drag in from left field. It's Broken Legions, the fantasy skirmish war games in the Roman Empire. There's a there's a title mm. for you. It's for two players and from Osprey Publishing. As I said, it comes from Osprey Publishing, not Osprey Games, which is their games wing that's bringing in the Ravens of the Thrice Ashari yes. for Ronan. Treasure. Uh, Odin's Ravens and the King is Dead, but this is this is part of their OWG range, which is their Ospreys for Wargamers series. The series already includes games like In Her Majesty's Name, Lion Rampant, Black Ops, and Dragon Rampant. They are very famous also for a game called Frostgrave, which is a fantasy miniature skirmish game, which actually, this is what drew me to that in the first place, because I was very interested in Frostgrave itself. So Broken Legions itself is a miniatures game set in the Roman times, with the narrative all about the Empire sending a small band of troops to find treasures sent by the gods, hunt down creatures from mythology, and explore ancient temples and labyrinths. Initially you're going to form war bands using a point system, then one player will act for Rome and the other player against Rome, uh, using your leaders, heroes, mercenaries and magic to secure victory over a series of scenarios. There are other games in this series, are just usually it's a book with a series of challenges or scenarios to work through, a load of details about how each unit will fight. You can bring your own miniatures in, you can use the miniatures they've signed up with, or even cardboard standees. So there's there's a lot of wiggle room for this. You can use your own tabletop mats or terrain, and you can kind of make the game sort of tailored to your own, your own style, but with these base rules in the book. And that's uh, Broken Legions, Ronan. 
what, what would you say your style is, Sean, as a an ancient Roman warrior? <laughs> fighting, fighting mythological creatures, yeah. and uh, yeah, I'd say, I'd say close combat would be your style. Close <laughs> combat and fast. Rub. <laughs> no, I'm not sure that's your style. <laughs> this is a weird choice, man. But I think that once you read about the theme, you're basically ancient Roman SAS or James Bond. They're saying that the Roman Empire stuck around for so long. It wasn't just the legions. It was the fact that all the threats were being taken out by this elite band that were going around and dealing with it. And, and obviously they brought the mythology in there. So when there's a threat from a mythological creature, they're the band they send in undercover not to disrupt the citizens and get it sorted or you know, going behind enemy lines, going on missions. And man, when you start, you think of that, you go, wow, that is... That's pretty cool. I'd love that. Sounds amazing. In terms of the game itself, I've heard of Frostgrave, which anyone who listens to D6 Generation is going to have heard of Frostgrave. Uh, Craig goes on about it a lot and he's a big fan of it. But those fellas are much, much more into minis than certainly you and I have ever been. We play the odd game with minis in. We've even played the odd skirmish game with minis in, but very much on the lighter side. I think this is an investment in by you have to buy your own minis you've got to learn the rules and it's much more a move towards that sort of miniature wargaming although i'm sure proper miniature wargamers will be looking at it going well this is kind of kid glove stuff it does sound amazing for what it is whether i am willing to invest my time and effort into doing it not so much so I think that if you are into the lighter skirmish miniature sort of a game or you're looking for a foothold in there, I couldn't think of a cooler theme to go for it. Small scale battles, it does sound amazing. But a personal trap, Sean, although I'm willing for you to buy it again. <laughs> I thought you might be. I've been wanting to dip my toe into the skirmish market again after the Dungeon Command. I knew you'd talk about Dungeon Command. I know, but that's the only skirmish game I think I've ever played. Maybe Rum and Bones. We had a, yeah. we had a game of Rum and Bones. Both skirmish that's... and game are a stretch there. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's how light my toe dipping has been in the skirmish market. I've been looking around, and as I said, Frostgrave really turned my head before, and I've been kind of keeping an eye on Osprey Publishing because of Frostgrave. And I saw this, and I thought, that is a really interesting concept for a game. That had me interested. The fact that it is from a very well-known publisher, they've got a whole series of these games out. So they've managed, hopefully, this is like the 15th one, I think. Hopefully they've ironed out all the creases, and they know what they're doing by now. It seems like a safe pair of hands to, to go and buy this game from. And it seems a lot easier... Having had a look at some of the rule books for these games and a quick browse through, it seems a lot easier than I thought it would be. There's very few actual rules. It's all about the details of the how what the units will do and how they yeah, fight and how they. Where, that's where the complication comes in because every yeah, unit true, is but... individual and they have their own line of sight rules yeah. and different armor and different damage for different. Yeah, that could be a stumbling block, but I think these guys know what they're doing by now so for me it's going to be a treasure and i may well buy this i don't know how if i'll ever play it it may sit sit on my shelves looking at me but it'll be a book so it won't upset the the wife too much and all the minis that you buy and the terrain when your double bed's been turned into a the via appia And my son's asked me, Daddy, why do I have to sleep on a Roman warband? There's a crucifix there with your name on it. Back off. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, 
I'm going to say it's a treasure, and I probably will actually buy it. Oh, God. I look forward to it. We could paint them together with the worst-looking Broken Legion set of minis in. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, gosh. I've been painting away missions, man. Oh, it's gone bad. <laughs> Something's gone wrong. My nervous <laughs> system's breaking down. <laughs> anyway, that will never be traded. <laughs> right. What was the game you traded with a half-painted miniature in it? Mansions of Madness. <laughs> I'd apologise profusely to the poor sod that got it. makes me laugh. Okay. The next one we're going to go to is First Martians. It's from Portal Games and Ignacy Trevishek. It's Robinson Crusoe, part two. This time it's going to be on Mars. So you're going to be going to Mars. Something's going to have gone wrong. I guess it's going to be like The Martian, right? The book and, and the film, whereby you're stranded on Mars and you've got to deal with some issues that arise. Huge difference here is... In Robinson Crusoe, you've got lots and lots of decks of cards. In this one, it's an app which is going to present the encounters. In the real Robinson Crusoe, when you drew a card, you'd shuffle it back into a deck and it would come up again at some point you didn't know it was going to come up. The app is going to handle that. And not only is it going to handle it to come up once, there's going to be multiple repercussions. So therefore, when you deal with something, if you don't deal with it the second time, maybe everything will be all right. But maybe on the third time, it will come back and hit you. Or, even more so, if you don't deal with the situation, it might hit you in the next scenario, or the next scenario. Or it might affect how many resources available to you as you move forward, and the app is able to handle that and make it a lot more complex. It's also able to handle interactions between different cards. So if you've got two that should somehow work each other or clash against each other, it wouldn't make sense in card form, the app should work that all out. It's going to control the game pacing. The thing Robinson Crusoe is, if you've got unlucky draws and shuffles, you could get a load of bad things happen to you at once and suddenly you know you can't win. Now, it didn't happen that often. Other people have got more problems with the pacing Robinson Crusoe than I've had, although I have played some pretty tough scenarios and trust me, I've lost my fair share of them. We always get excited about portal games and we'll talk about another one in a little while because of their ambition. They always tend to aim high. However, when I sat back and look at portal releases... Although Imperial Settlers was a hit by any other measure other than what we think about it in the game pit, it's a top 100 game, we didn't like it. And you've got to go back to 2013 for an original big box game that was a hit, which was Theseus, that's in our opinion, and so on backwards, and they don't always hit what they're aiming for. They've got lots of re-implementations, they've got lots of expansions, they've got lots of small stuff they've brought out, but in terms of big games that hit the mark, not that many. So, Sean, leaving you hanging on that, first Martians, what are your thoughts? Right, so the way I look at this, you've got three questions to ask yourself. Did you like Robinson Crusoe? Yes. That's a tick, a tick for me, okay? I'm sure it's a tick for you. Do we like the retheming? Yes. Is, is, is the exploration of Mars and that sci-fi theme going to be You definitely do. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> And will the app take away some of that laborious upkeep and, as you said, make the game more more likely to surprise you? I think it sounds like it will do. I, I can't see me not buying this. I just it's it, everything about it screams yes. It's going to be a more playable, a more varied, an easier to get into game of Robinson Crusoe in a setting which I'd actually prefer. From the Robinson Crusoe setting, yeah, I'm going to buy it. It's a treasure. Actually, I'm going to ask you a question before I go on to my final thoughts. In one of the videos, or actually known his blog, Ignatius said that in Robinson Crusoe, people will take a risk. They'd be like, 
oh yeah, you know, I might get hit by a tiger, but I'm going to go for it anyway because you know it will be all right either way. And they play much more riskily, and they'd use one action pawn and roll dice, see what happened. He said when he first started playtesting this, people were taking far, far fewer risks, and they're doing much more safe actions all the time. And he was like, well, like you've played Robinson Crusoe, you would never do that. And they were like, yeah, but we're on Mars. Like if it goes wrong, we're dead. <laughs> He's like, but in Robinson Crusoe, you'd be dead. Ah, you might have a chance. You might be able to swim away or find another <laughs> thing. But on, on Mars, you're dead. And he's had to think about that in his design just because of the theme on Mars. I thought that was quite interesting. It is interesting. It's people's just perceptions that it's a more deadly environment than sort of the, the, the myriad things that can actually kill you in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. The fact that he has gone to that depth with people and he has decided that he's going to take that into account is is really encouraging okay here's my big handbrake they can't get a rule book right okay <laughs> the Robinson Crusoe rule book is rubbish and they haven't updated it for the game of the year edition coming out later this year for example Stronghold 2nd edition just came out the rule book's still not great but it was practically unplayable with the 1st edition rule book if they can't get a rule book right what is my belief that they can get this complicated an app right at launch. Yes, it's something to be mindful of. I hadn't actually thought of it, to be honest. Uh, how, yeah, you're right. The the rule books aren't always great, but uh... but they've got to do a lot with this app, and it's going to be very in terms of game game app. It's going to be very complicated. You've got as many options as Robinson Crusoe, mm. <sighs> and you know you can't you can't get rule book written uh, in all honesty in English or not in in you know, gradually correct English, but. But the yeah, but the rules. I think the rules were all there in the rule books. Were they? No, if it's they weren't. Like, not what? for Robinson Crusoe, they weren't. Genuinely, they weren't. Well, in my in most of the other ones that I played, the rules are all there, and they just they just weren't laid out in a correct format. And they're all over the place. They're higgledy piggledy, as I like to say. But with a nap, if you're if you're looking for a certain thing and it's supposed to do a certain thing at a certain time. I think that's almost a little bit easier than laying out a rule book and what? trying to get it into a manage a manageable you're great, format. Great. No. So if you if you if you go exploring, surely there's going to be an explore button. and You press a button and it, all the all the explore right, and stuff happens. Writing a sixteen-page rule supposed to write an app that's supposed to integrate and play over multiple games and take stock of your choices. But if you get all the information into the app, Massive. surely the app, the, you're not, it won't be sort of Ignacy and his, and his creative team designing how the app works. It'll be technical people. They will organise all the rules, surely, into a format that is going to make more sense than the creative team writing their own rules. My head is in my hands, man. I just, <laughs> I, I think that this is quite a good thing because people like to bash games and apps. I've got no problem with games having an app, no problem at all. It's just another way of playing games. Cool, and and I'm really looking forward to this. But it is a big spotlight now on a board game having an app, and I'm really worried that they're not going to get it right. And and for that, I actually think this is going to be a trap. I think that the app is going to be a mess, and it's going to take a few iterations to get right. As you, you could well be right. You could be well be right. Um, I'm going to buy it, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, but having said that, I mean, I did say it was a treasure, and I'm going to stick with treasure just based on that. I will buy it. I probably will enjoy it once you get once you get through the bad rule book. If it's anything like Robinson Crusoe at all, I think Robinson Crusoe did have an abysmal rule book, but we still got many, many, many hours mm. of fun out of that game. But, but you can, we can work around it, but and with the app, if the app doesn't work, it just doesn't work. True. 
True. Anyway, but I think we'll probably be banging on That's my neurosis coming out. I really want this to be great. I really want it to work. I'm wishing him all the best in the world. I just, I'm, maybe I'm just trying to dampen my own enthusiasm. Anyway, another <laughs> game that's, that's generating a lot of enthusiasm, Sean. It is, it is. It's uh, going to be Bezier Games' big Essen release this year. It's Colony for one to four players, designed by good old Ted Alspach. He of Suburbia, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and uh, his upcoming Gen Con release is America this year. And he's designing that with Friedman Frieser. It's also co-designed by Toroyo Hojo. He did uh, Age of Craft and host of the Age of Games and Yoshihisa Nakatsu. And he did a couple of games with Mr. Hojo. So this is, as I said, Bezier's big SM release and we already have a lot of buzz around this game. And many have mooted that it might be in another in the Suburbia line. But so far, from the little we know about it, there seems to be uh, more to this than just the tile lane point scoring as seen in Siberia and Castles of Madkin Ludwig. Each player will have to construct and upgrade their buildings using their dice as resources. The thing that stands out so far is that each die face will represent a different resource, with some of them having to be used straight away and some hanging around for use at a later time. Your buildings are going to give you bonuses and new capabilities and clever construction of your tableau will also allow you to score points off that suburbia style and allow you to claim victory. I did actually email Bezier Games Ronan and they weren't they didn't actually come back to us because there's not a lot out about this one at all, but still managing to garner a lot of buzz. It's got a lot of buzz because of that cover, hasn't it? That cover's awesome. <laughs> got the side yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> and also Suburbia is a fantastic game. I was playing it again this weekend uh, with my thirteen year old and she adores it and my girlfriend adores it and I adore it. It just it appeals to, to lots of different gamers. I didn't love Castles of Mac in Ludwig, I thought it was a decent game, but certain people love that as well. So he, he's built up a track record. America is just, it's like Fauna, isn't it? It's just like a trivia game like that. See, I can I just jump in quickly there, mate? I, has he, though? I feel I think he's been a little bit disappointing of late. Well, maybe not him himself, but Bezier themselves have been a little bit disappointing. Ooh, I mean, we've had, I mean, I agree with you, Castles of Mac in Ludwig was okay. It was okay, but, that's a personal but it was taste no thing, suburban. Isn't it? That's because that has got yeah, a big yeah. reception. I know where you're going with this. It's the rubbish favour. But of the yeah, Pharaoh, uh, like favour of the yeah. Pharaoh, we were disappointed at. I was very disappointed in Subdivision. I know that wasn't Ted mm, Spatch, but it was designed off the back of and five star, I really guess. The, the second expansion for Suburbia. Yeah, yeah, really, that 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 hasn't gone down as well as you would have thought. And okay. I think they they need a big release. They need a Suburbia, something that's going to stick around. Well, in terms of Conley. This, I know you mentioned Age of Craft earlier. It basically is a remake of Age of Craft. They've picked that up from Mr. Kojo and they're stuck a sci-fi theme in it and cool looking artwork. And when you look at Age of Craft, basically it's Machi Koro on steroids. Your, your dice are, you roll them sometimes and they're different resources and you can actually trade them with each other, which is quite interesting. It's a bit of that dominion in that you're using seven cards out of a possible, I think it's 28 or something in the set. So every game is slightly different, but it's Magikoro. Each card is a building, you can fuel it with resources and it will do something for you. And you're trying to build a tableau up and score points. And that's it. If that's what you would imagine it, that's where we're going with this. So the replayability and trading are very attractive. 
because it makes it more interactive than Magic Crow and hopefully more to it than that game. The cover looks amazing. We talked about the dice on there, but they're just using standard D6. Now, I know why, because you've got effects which move the numbers on the dice up down and, and affect them as numbers. But basically, 2 is a particular resource, 3 is a particular resource, 4 is a particular resource, and you can move them up and down. There could have been some way to make the dice look better and still retain that that technical gameplay situation. They've just thrown it away and gone, no, we're using the D6, is easier. And then they don't look so good. So after being drawn in by the cover, that... Mm, I think it's lighter than I had hoped for. When I looked at it, I thought, I love Suburbia. Is he going to make something a net step up? And I think he hasn't. I think he's made something a couple of steps down in terms of complexity or adapted Age of Craft and something with a couple of steps down in complexity. I think it's going to be a trap because I didn't see enough new in there. I really don't like Machikoro. I didn't particularly like the sort of gameplay style. So it's not in my wheelhouse. Okay, well, for me, I thought it seemed to be actually evolving the suburbia engine a little bit by adding more content to the way you actually get your buildings uh, as in you have to build them rather than just buy them from from the market i think it would all depend on how the buildings work in your tableau whether it's just the case you've got those buildings so i think yeah if they had have made it all about the placement of your buildings and things working off each other i think that would have made me say yes definite treasure as rona said it doesn't look like it is going to be like that then i think it's going to have to be a trap for me as well and this is going to be another one in a long line for bezio for me uh, not since suburbia really oh ouch no mm. wonder they didn't answer emails yeah there you go <laughs> they were right not to they were right they they foresaw we're reaching halfway point, and to lead us in there, to hop us onwards through our warren, our network of tunnels of game, Sean, it's not working, is it? No, no, no okay. not working. No, I was a hair's breadth away. It's Bunny Kingdom! Bunny Kingdom is a card drafting and area control game from Richard Garfield, Netrunner and Magic the Gathering, and Yellow, the French publisher who make beautiful, beautiful games. And before we go any further, I don't know why it's bunnies. I don't know why you're controlling rabbits. It doesn't make any more sense than anything else. So let's leave that there. The game plays over three rounds. You're going to start off drafting two cards from hand of ten and passing them round. The cards you draft are going to allow you, for one, to play bunnies onto a board which has a grid. Each space in the grid has got a corresponding card. When you play that card, you may play a bunny in there. On that grid, you've got different resources in certain areas, you've got cities in certain areas, and you've got different types of terrain which can take extra resources. Some of the cards in your hand are going to allow you to place extra resources down. There are also event cards you can play to manipulate the board or the bunnies that are on the board. At the end of each round, when everyone's played 10 cards, you're going to score your biggest area of bunnies that you've got consecutively together. And how you score that area is for cities that are in there, and cities can be of level 1, 2, or 3, and the resources which are in there. Now, there's only three basic resources in the game, which you can get from certain areas, but by playing cards, you can add extra resources in there to multiply what you're scoring and increase the value of your area. Also, there are missions for each round that you're trying to do, so cities which are not attached to anything else could score points, or unique resources could score points. There's lots of those different ones, and they're going to make each round play differently. It's about an hour long. It's a drafting plus a bit more on there in the board. Looks like sort of a gateway sort of complexity of a game. Sean, Bunny Kingdom. Okay, I'm going back to the theme, Ronan. Go straight back there. 
I understand bunnies. Okay, you want to make it a little bit different. You want to go for bunnies. Fair enough. But why medieval bunnies? <laughs> so you're moving away from the Euro stereotype. Let's make everything set in the medieval or the Renaissance or what have you by going with bunnies. Fine. That's cool. But then you make the medieval That's bunnies. really arrogant. Do you know that? What makes you think bunnies would have developed modern technology by now? You just you can't see things from another point of view, can you? It's really mean. I know, I'm bunniest. Okay, I really like the drafting, but we that's no surprise to anybody. I like it mixed with the board location. I had a funny thought about that. I was like thinking, oh, I wonder if you could do that with Lords of Vegas, if you could work out a variant. But anyway, moving Why would you touch on. my game? Sorry. Don't sorry, touch perfection. Move on. <laughs> I do like the, the balancing act with the area, resources, cities, events and powers. It seems like a lot to do and it's quite a short game. It plays out in about an hour. So it seems like a very, very sort of involved hour of gaming and lots to think about. But there's only the three scoring periods, I think, mm-hmm, Roland. Mm-hmm. So going to have to be on it from the very beginning. You can't be easing into this game. You're going to have to be smashing it because you're only going to score three times in the game. Yeah, a very intense, thoughtful hour. And apart from the theming, I'm quite liking this one. So I'm going to go treasure. I like it. I had no idea. I just saw Bunny Kings and Richard Garfield. No idea when I put this on the list what it was going to be like. It's going to be funny. It looks good as well. Although, yeah, I know you medieval bunnies are upset. But it does look good. It looks pretty from what we've seen. It plays simply. Uh, we've been looking at another card drafting game recently, Treasure Hunter, which we're going to include in an upcoming episode. Now, it makes more sense than that to me when you're explaining it. Treasure Hunter is a little bit abstract. It usually takes people a round or two to get their head around it. With this, when you say that card, see it says C9, look on the grid C9, you're putting something there. See, that has mushrooms on it, you're putting mushrooms on the board. I think, although it's a weird theme, it's going to help you explain it. So it's less abstract. I always find drafting to be a good sort of mechanism to introduce people because they've got their own hand of cards and they feel like making their own decisions, but there's still the mystery of what cards are coming around next. And I'm with you. I think Bunny Kingdom looks like a treasure. And I'm, I'm almost definitely going to get it because drafting games have gone over well with me with new players. I think it's probably the game that we both looked at at the beginning before we did any research and was like, that's a definite trap. <laughs> bunny Kingdom. Bunny Kingdom, I'm there. I'm all, I might dress up go. as a medieval bunny for it. Don't do that. The people of Essen b- besieged thee. You tried to see me into Okay, onwards and upwards, and we are going to jump... Well, onwards. Well, indeed. We are going <laughs> to jump straight into a feast of gaming, Ronan, <laughs> with Monster Buffet. <sighs> Maybe not. Uh, it plays two to six players uh, from Rebel.pl and Rombo Games, designed by Juan Gomez. He has designed Publish or Perish and The Third Eye, and is also designed by Hubert Spaller from Raw, Catch the Monster, and Kung Fu. So Monster Buffet is billed as a fast-paced, real-time party game. But to play this game, you will need to download the app, available on iTunes and Android. Each player will have a game met in the shape of a monster's maw. 
You like a monsters more, don't you, Ronan? I am. I'm a more fan. You are a more fan. Although I'd like less of this. <laughs> An objective of some kind. There will be a pile of numbered critters, which are basically food tokens, in the middle of the table. Then the galaxy trucker style. So I've upset Ronan again. You will have to pluck the critters one-handed with while the app sets a time limit of 30 seconds. The main rule is that you can only take the same number as you last took or one either side. So if you take a level 2 critter, your next choice must be a 1, 2 or 3. Players must stack to their grabbed critters on their moor and any that fall off the stack are lost. This happens three times. Scoring is based on the background colour behind the number, but don't ye fret. The app will do the scoring for you, Ronan. Woohoo! Mm. No, no. You're not really feeling it. The app counts a stack of tiles. For you. <laughs> that must have been hard to program. It, it also recognises the colour. Right. Oh, are we done? It looks quite cool when it's counting them because you see the monsters chomping going into the mouth (laughs) alright I think that probably kids the first time that they do it and scan the pieces are going to love the app and that's going to get bored really really quickly because it's 90 seconds of play (laughs) it's a 30 second round then you've got to go around and scan everyone's pile which is going to take 5 minutes then you play for 30 seconds and 5 minutes of scanning is it really worth that fuss can I just count them? I've got five. <laughs> I know, mate. It's not your turn. No. Yet. No. Wait for your app time. I can see I've got five. No. It's not legitimate. <laughs> I haven't scanned it. It hasn't taken 30 seconds. At that is not an app ratified score. <laughs> I'll rapify it around your head. Grabbing from the middle is also a bit of an extreme sport. You said like Galaxy Trucker, but Galaxy Trucker, you've got to think about what you're doing and it's not speed. You've got to pick it up, think about it. Okay. This is just going to be pure speed. It's going to be bang, 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 bang. There are going to be broken fingers. <laughs> There's going to be tears. And that one's my one. The iPad's going to be hopped off heads. And that's only when we play. Is it worth the fuss? Is it really? And with pure speed games, you can't play with people with different abilities. So even kids that are three years apart can't play with each other because the older one will be quicker, probably, unless they're closely related to us. <laughs> so just get out. Monster Buffet's a trap. You're... What is it? <laughs> okay, so... The app looks way more impressive than the actual game. Because, as I said, it's got some nice chomping animation when you're actually calculating the scores. The game's going to be really, really light like this. I want the animation to sort of grab you as well. It doesn't. It's very basic. It doesn't look great. The mutagen cards, the objectives, I think they're just going to muddy the waters. I think they've tried to add something to make make it more of a game rather than just a grab what you can fest uh, I don't think that's going to work I think it's as Ryan said it's just a, it's a speed test and adding things into that is just not going to work I think it was I've written down it was a nice idea but it wasn't really it was it was a cheap idea an easy idea it doesn't have any legs you're going to get bored after for adults one game if that and children we've been reviewing it for four minutes and 58 seconds and i reckon we've got more enjoyment <laughs> out of this four, eight seconds than we were ever out of this game. so is the trap so move, let's move on i'm giving you the remote wrap-up side i'm so no. glad we're not filming this in the same filming this i'm so glad we're not recording this in the same room today <laughs> okay let's move on to an actual game sean cry havoc havoc 
cry havoc and havoc. Havoc. Cry havoc. It's three designers who did this, including Michael Orach, who did Nurashima and Theseus. And it's coming from Portal Games, our second Portal Games game of the episode. It's a sci-fi minis area control game. The minis look good. You know production is going to be good at least. So you know it's going to look pretty. Two to four players playing as different factions. And they're all going to be fighting for control of this planet. And each of the factions are going to score in different ways. But just before we go into that, mechanically it's card driven. Which is the hot thing I think at the moment for war games. It was in Blood Rage, the card driven system. Uh, the coin games from GNT have been, I think, more successful than they could ever have hoped. And it certainly is becoming a real thing. These cards to drive and give you separate factions. And Portal have picked that up. It's going to be out at Gen Con 2016. So the four different factions, which is very much also a Portal game thing in these games, to have a faction with different powers, are the apes who are native to the planet. And they're going to be able to use the environment around them and hide and create ambushes and pop up on the map. The marines who are looking to come in and build infrastructure and very much dominate areas and control and colonise. There are mechs which are basically transformers. They just want to kill everything else there. They're anti-life apparently and they can transform into buildings as well to give you resources and then transform back into units and they can be mobile around the map. And the last one are kind of the weird ones, the aliens. They're called the pilgrims. They're not great at fighting but on this planet as a natural resource some kind of magical crystals and these are the wizards or something who are going to go in and they're just trying to research the crystals and that's how they score their points now one of the interesting things about the fighting is you allocate your units to one of three different areas when you go for a fight and the attacker does it first and it chooses what units are going to try and take the area so i'm guessing the marines that's going to be their priority which units are trying to take prisoners and which units are trying to just kill the other team and then the defender reacts to that and they assign their units they might go oh you know you can kill me but i want to hold the area so most of my units are going to go into holding the area and that's what gives the defender the edge i guess or hopefully i said about cards the cards you're going to be able to mix up the combat and do different things and unexpectedly switch things around or, or resolve the orders in the opposite order or whatever it might be and it's the cards that stop it from being too dry with the area control Sean, it sure looks pretty. Cry havoc. It does look pretty. It looks very, very nice. I think the battle mechanics, as you described, really interesting with choices of what you want to actually do, what you want to get out of the battle, and the defenders also have to make choices. Really interested in that. I think the game's all going to rely on the ability to read what others are planning, maybe do some bluffing. I think that could be really interesting side of the game. One thing that actually set alarm bells ringing for me was that they've included that a uh, game length changer. Depending if you have a runaway leader, you can uh, all, yeah, you can yeah. all vote to say no. Actually, we might as well end this after the second round because there's no way we're going to catch Bob. No, you don't vote. It's that if they're far ahead. If by let's say by the second round, then that around just disappears out of the game. Yeah, so that kind of made me, which which is good in a lot of ways because yeah, you don't want to, things to hang on. But the fact that they've sort of almost bludgeoned this thing in there makes me think that when they play tested this, did they have a runaway leader problem in here? Maybe just a slight worry about that. But everything else. The factions playing differently, the makeup of the board, and us reading the other players, it all makes me think this could be a really special game. So I'm going to say Treasure, but I might want to play test it first. My big worry is that it's not too Blood Rage esque and 
falls into complete bullshit with those cards. <laughs> well, what you do doesn't really matter because the cards can change everything. I hope that there's a little bit of thought it's a bit more Euro than that. Based on the really good job Michael Orash did with Nurashima Hex and Theseus, I'm going to keep the faith in him. Actually, I'm really excited that one of the other games that's coming out of the co-op that's based on the computer game is it's called This Is My War or something like that. Looks amazing. Anyway, I'm keeping the faith in for that game and this game, Cry Havoc, and I'm going to go Treasure as well. Very good, very good. Okay, I've made a bit of a habit of picking games that are hard to research, and this is no different. This next game is October. It's been around for years, sure. <laughs> it's, it's been, been around for years. How can it be hard to research? <laughs> Oktoberfest, three to five players, Rio Grande Games, designed by Joshua Balvin, who still has my copy of Salem since 2012. Thank you, Joshua. We kickstarting <laughs> anything from him again. Not gonna, <laughs> this is not going to taint my, my thoughts about this game at all. Bitter much. <laughs> and he also designed Fool's Gold, which I've heard is actually quite good. I refuse to play it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, as Ronan alluded to, has been knocking around since 2009 after it won a competition run by Rio Grande Games where they would pick four games by unpublished designers and make them a reality. It then disappeared. <laughs> Was there a timeline on that? <laughs> <laughs> it then disappeared and then popped up again in 2012 where I believe it won an award at the Chicago Toy and Games Fair. Now, after seven years in supposed development hell, it is finally on the Rio Grande Games release list for 2016. There's still not much out there regarding this, but what we do know is it's an economic card-driven game with bidding, bluffing, and stockholding. Each player is a brewmaster, vying for controls of six types of beer in the Oktoberfest set in the late 1800s. Why do we have to go back in time always? Why can't it be the Oktoberfest? To meet 20- the bunnies. 20- yes, maybe the bunnies are brewing beer. Mm, carrot beer or something. Anyway, so there are 12 beer tents, and the players will bid to have their punters or patrons visit the certain tents and drink a certain amount of beer. And then players will score at the end of the game for each barrel sold or drunk. The twist comes in two waves. Firstly, not all tents will score. It is only the ones that have been closed due to them running out of beer that will harvest any points. And secondly, the tent only scores the barrels of the last type of beer to sell out before it closes. So it seems like it's going to be a bit of a timing issue going on here we have to work out your timing as well as your economy and your bluffing etc so Ronan Oktoberfest most importantly we've learned why they have an Oktoberfest Sean well there you go yes it was to empty out all their barns of all the grain that they were harvesting in the autumn so they turned it all into beer so they'd have empty barns eminently sensible if you ask me (laughs) what a great system (laughs) I've got this spare in my cupboard. Let's ferment it and see what happens. Rio Grande, man, they must drive designers crazy. It must drive you mental. I won this competition. My game's going to come out. Fantastic. Oh, seven years later, it doesn't come out. No sympathy. What? <laughs> Actually, a friend of mine, a friend of yours, well, Fabio, he just won a game competition, a dice game competition, so I'm hoping it takes seven years for his to come out. Fabio Lopiano, the Capra's game, looks amazing. Carry on. The cover looks good. Yes, very colourful. It breaks. The gameplay sounds a bit light. 
for a 90 minute playtime from what we know it's all going to depend on that stock market and like you know, having the shares in different beer types and the timing and the bluffing and all that it depends how that well that knits together it all sounds delicate well, you know has it been very hard to balance properly is that why Rio Grande have sat on it or have they just sat on it they sat on Arctic Scavengers for years didn't they and it came out and it was a decent game and it's been a big hit you know it just it makes you wonder what's going on I'm a little bit worried there might be a semi-co-op slant to the tense thing in that if I start selling well from a tent and I'm selling the beer out of it does it mean that you can tank me and go I right, so I'm not selling any more out there so you have to kind of not get too far ahead and try and work together even though you're individually trying to win because you know that's not one of my favourite things to do in the mm. game there was another thing that actually made me think of you is is a complete random bullshit card in there which is Evacuate the card. evacuation card oh, where yeah. it just closes a tent on the draw of a card in a 90 minute euro yeah that that'd be that'd be annoying if you'd ploughed all your resources into making sure you hit the timing just perfect to get maximum points. Yeah, you wouldn't be happy, would you? you? Wouldn't be happy. Um, so the game that actually has come out that Sean hasn't spent loads of money on and not got was Fool's Gold, and that has been really well received, but gone under the radar. I don't know how much of a cloud there is over his head at the moment with all sort of the funny situations going on with these many delayed games. So I kind of want it to be a treasure because it sounds like it could be interesting stuff in there. But I also want Rio Grande Games to get themselves in order. Um, oh, I don't know. Let's get drunk and play it and then we can decide. <laughs> Always a good, good way to gauge a game. Get drunk and then go and visit him at Edison <laughs> and you can discuss Salem with him. And then we can play it. Should I put him on trial? <laughs> Burn the witch. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, don't, I want it to be a treasure. It looks pretty. I'm, oh, go on, I'll go treasure. Go on. Okay, well, I'm I'm equally just really undecided on this. I think what maybe pushed me over is that it seems like it could be quite a negative game with players taking sort of tentative steps rather than sort of striding for a win and putting together a game. Was that was that a tent joke there? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, rather than striding for the win and being really positive, and this is my plan to win the game, will it be a game where you're just like, okay, this is how I don't lose the game, and I'll try and work out my timings later? So, I uh, don't think it sounds like it's going to hold up to me. I think Ronan mentioned it, it maybe sounds a bit fragile, possibly. I don't know. I'm going to say, what do I know? But I'm going to say it's a trap. That wasn't a biased opinion. Not at all. Good. Moving on. Journalistic integrity is alive and well. <laughs> Our next one is called Seven Ronin. This is a Polish game from 2013, which has been picked up by Grey Fox Games, who we think are the publishing arm of Cool Mini or not, and it's something to do with Dice Tower as well, or something like that. Anyway, they're linked up with that sort of area down in Florida, and they are releasing it in a much wider setting this year. Although it was out at Essen last year, and it's quite cheap, Sean, but I didn't know. Did you notice it in last year's list? Yes, I did. I recognised the cover as soon as I started researching. I was like, I've seen that before. I didn't actually do much research on the game itself, uh, but yeah, I recognised the cover. Oh, totally. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't notice it at all until Grey Fox Games picked it up. Anyway, what is it? It's a two-player game in which one player is a bunch of ninjas who are attacking a village, as ninjas do, and the others are the seven ronin defending the village. So it's yeah, Seven Samurai, the game. It's played over eight days of attacks, 
At the beginning of each of the days, both players plan their deployment of units behind the screen. So the ninja dude's got loads of ninjas, he's going to plan which of the 10 areas of the village they're going to attack, and the ronin player's going to plan where to defend with the ronin. Simultaneously, you move your screens and you deploy your units to the board, and then you have a resolution phase from there. Now, over the eight days, the ninjas need to control at least half of the village, five of the ten areas, or eliminate all of the ronin. The other side of the coin, the ronin need to eliminate all of the ninjas or hold them off until the eighth day when I guess the cavalry are going to arrive. In terms of the ronin, the seven of them, obviously, they each have a different special ability. So that's the first thing that happens in the resolution phase. So I think clever placement of those powers is going to be very important. Along with the bluffing, because if you've put like your good combat ronin in and there's no ninjas in that area, obviously you've wasted them for that day. Also, when you control an area at the end of a day, you get a special ability from there. And they're all thematic as to what the different areas of the village are. And they're going to give you some sort of boost. Now, ninjas have got one hit point, they get hit, they're dead. The ronin take damage over time and... Obviously, it's going to take some days for the ninjas to try them wear them down. That's the whole theme of the game. Sean, we are looking at some similar games for an upcoming episode. We might talk about them in a minute. What are your initial thoughts on Seven Ronin? Well, my initial thoughts I was looking at, and I was I was wondering, was it going to be more fun to play as the Seven Ronin rather than the ninjas? And having looked at a few reviews online and reading the rules, etc., I think actually seems quite interesting to play both sides because the ninjas as you said they've got those village powers if they manage to hang on in the in the village and they can use the village powers and they can start doing some cool interesting things rather than just be placing cubes all the time i think they've got a little bluff there. yeah they've got the bluff element which brings me on to i couldn't see really just from the rules how luck didn't play a massive part in the game but Every review that I've read or watched or every bit of information I've gleaned from people who've played the game all say that it's, there's hardly any luck. It's all about the bluff. There's there's enough information to be... You can drop information to send people in the wrong directions or, or, or to misdirect or people can work out what you're doing. So if that is true, then the game seems really interesting. I like the, the way you're working in completely different ways to really get the same objective... Either side looks like it's going to be interesting to play in different ways. So for me, I think it's going to be a treasure. Cool. Uh, the quick play time, I think, I don't think I mentioned it. It's like half an hour, 25 minutes to play. Yeah. For eight days, which, yeah, that, that is a big, big plus as well. We're looking at some similar games for, hopefully, Pit Fight coming up in terms of Draco, Dos de Mayo, Raptor. And I love this genre. I love the asymmetrical two-player little small scale map where you can make genuine tactical decisions and you can see the outcome and you know immediately when you do it you can see how it reacts how it affects the other person i really enjoy them and that helps a lot for this in me making seven ronin a treasure i think it needs a little bit of a cleanup on the rule book possibly a little bit of cleanup here and there just to make it look a little prettier but overall uh, it's a strong game and i think gray fox games have done well to pick this one up so yeah all good for now. Sean, what's next? Well, next, Ronan, it's a game designed by the legendary Klaus Turber oh. and his son Benjamin. The Toibers. The Toibers. Well known. Indeed. So, I had high hopes. The Toibers yeah, were on the Catan. march. I mean, you know, Catan. Catan, yeah. man, Catan. The game is Smugglers. It's two to four players. It's released by Cosmos. And Cosmos, they got a good track record. Yeah, good track record. Yeah, yeah. So, um, probably going to be some depth, some some real choices to be made. 
Um, let, let's let's have a look and see. Yeah. Uh, in Smugglers, surprisingly, you are a smuggler, and you're going to vie with the other players to smuggle sacks of contraband through a fence to prove your worth and be accepted into Potato Charlie's infamous gang. So, if ever there was a nickname that you should have had, Charlie Big Spider. <laughs> Potato Charlie. <laughs> So, the game board has a number of channels that are sloped downwards, with different size holes in a cardboard fence at the bottom of the slope. So, if you think potion explosion, but with a fence at the bottom with differing holes, so they kind of, you get the impression there. Players are trying to collect sets of the same colour contraband, and will choose one of the three types of contraband. You have red, yellow, or blue. And if you want to stick with the theme, they are sweet treats, sour treats... And stink yeah. bombs. Stink bombs, yeah. Stink bombs. Tell me again what we're smuggling. Uh, sweet treats. Yeah. Sour treats. Yeah. And stink bombs. Big black market in those, is there? There is. They're impossible to get through customs. I see. They train their dogs. Carry on. Well, you are going to wrap a coloured plastic crystal, matching the colour of your said treats and stink bombs. In a piece of what appears to be plasticine or Play-Doh, while a 30-second timer is counting down. When the time roll <laughs> runs out, you cannot add or remove any more plasticine to your sack, ball, whatever. Are you saying random naughty words? <laughs> <laughs> so, you're going to roll it and try to get it into a ball shape. I'm doing it again. And... You are going to roll it down the aisle chosen by a roll of a dice. And should it fit through the hole at the bottom, you are successful. If not, you get one more chance to roll and smooth down your sack of contraband. And try and roll it through again. And if you fail a second time, it's lost and it counts as junk. If both get through, the largest of the two wins. So there's some sort of impetus to try and make your sack the largest <laughs> and the winner now gets a chance to guess what the other players have tried to smuggle based on what they've got in their collections i would imagine and we'll take a token of the same color if they guess right if they guess wrong the opponent gets a token as i said you've got a set collection aspect you're looking to collect seven types of one color and as i said the stink bombs in there they're slightly different and they allow players to steal other players contraband and that's the whole game and ronan take me away what is this <laughs> i don't know what the hell have you chosen it's like something from the early learning center but it's not and that's my problem there's eight friggin pages of rules <laughs> Come on, most of them there's are eight pictures. pages of rules. Oh, there's a comic about, a there, there's a comic about book. making plasticine balls and rolling them. There's a comic strip in there. There's, it's mostly pictures. It's about four words. There's not. You're crazy. And this is my biggest problem. There are snap instructions, though, of how to pull apart a piece of plasticine <laughs> to stop it going to stringy. Oh, well, well don't. For God's sake, no stringy plasticine. And don't, don't leave your sack at the bottom of the of the slope because if somebody else's sack bounces into it, you might mix the colours. That could be a serious issue. We could have hybrid sacks. <laughs> Why have you got me looking? What? It's, so, it's just fiddly and crap. And like, what? Oops. Oh, wow. Tell me how the scoring works. Absolute nonsense. Like, I can get mine through. But if I don't guess randomly what one you've put in, and you do, then you win and I don't. And what? Yeah, I think if if you don't guess, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's all it's all a bit bizarre. Yeah, I don't know either. And I read the rules, and that's yeah, just so did ridiculous. I. It's um, it's a mind-bogglingly <sighs> poor idea for a game. It's just. But if it was simple, it would be stupid fun. But they've gone stupid and fiddly. I just don't trap. I don't. I don't even see that it would be simple fun. It's pure, but pure j- novelty. Trap. Okay. <laughs> pure novelty. Won't last long. Little game in it, and even when you are guessing, surely at the beginning it's just going to be total luck. At the end, you might have half a chance of guessing what somebody's trying to smuggle. But yeah, absolute nonsense of a game. It's a definite trap. You made me shake my head for the twenty minutes I spent researching this. You made me <laughs> shake my head for the last ten minutes while I talked about it. What? We could have chosen a proper game in this slot. Oh, but come on. I thought Class Turbo, Cosmos. I thought, okay, let's do it. Not so much. Let's not do it. Let's not do it. All right, let's move on. Can we move on? Yeah, please do. You've upset. <laughs> and my last game for this episode is World Monuments. It's from Queen Games, and the designer is Piero Coney. And I know him because he was the Dakota designer, which certainly was a game with lots of interesting bits to it. If it didn't come together as a complete whole, there's still good things about the character. I like it. For two to four players, in each game, all the players are going to contribute to the building of a monument. Now, the four that come in the base game are the capital of Washington, St. Peter's, Cathedral Rome, Taj Mahal, and Notre Dame Paris. For each monument, you get a, a net, a floor plan, which shows you a 3D representation of that particular monument. And it's going to be represented in areas on the mat and in different brick colours at different levels, up to five levels high. So each of those monuments requires the stones to be set in a particular pattern at different heights in order to build them correctly. And that's what the players are going to attempt to do. There are three stages of building that monument. At the beginning of each stage, you get a set of stones which are in the colours dictated to you by the monuments. The first set of Taj Mahal tells you this many purple, this many red, this many white, this many yellow. And you get some blue and black in there which have got different game effects as well. And they all get chucked in a bag, they get mixed up and they get laid out in a quarry randomly. The quarry has got an outer edge which is going to have one stone in each, an inner circle which is going to have two stones in each, and any leftover stones go in the middle. There's then a dobber. That dobber gets put down by the first player anywhere in the quarry and they pick up a stone from that area. It's got to be on the outside edge. The next person has got two moves they can make. They pick up a stone from each place they move to. Third player's got three moves. They pick up a stone from each place they move to and so on and so forth. You're going to be collecting all these stones. That's the first half of each of the three rounds. Second half of the rounds, you then take turns adding one stone each to the monument board. You must put a valid colour of stone down. So if it's purple on the ground floor of it, you have to have a purple stone to put in place, otherwise you can't play. And obviously you can get to a point where players are going to be unable to play. When it comes around to your turn and you say, look, the colours I've got don't match anything here, I can't play anymore. You pick up your screen, all the stones you have left are going to cost you points. I'm going to get points for laying the stones on. And the higher level I can play the stones, the more points I score. So there's a nice push-pull there between being able to definitely build the lower floors so I'm safe and I'm going to get rid of all my stones. However, they're not going to score me as many points as the risky other colours I'll be able to take. In the basic monuments, all the stones on level are the same. So it will all be, all the yellows go on the bottom, all the whites above them, whatever it may be. In the more complicated monuments, you get, uh, including some of them in the base game, those colours are going to mix and match and yellows are going to be at the bottom and then reappear again later on and you're going to have to then make more of a judgement call as to what you want to take. That's it. You're taking stones, you're laying them down, you're taking turns. Sounds like it's going to take around 45 minutes to play. 
Sean thoughts on world monuments? Well, first off, I'm going to ban any further use of Queen Games in these episodes because you make me listen to Scary Voiceover Lady. I didn't see that. <laughs> she was on the Kickstarter page. <laughs> oh, I didn't click on the Kickstarter page. There's a real good overview. There's like a less than five minute overview available on the Board Game Geek page if you want to know more about this game. The guy's talking to uh, W. Eric Martin. It's Remember that Queen guy who gave us that treasure hunter thing? Where after five minutes we feel like he'd just given us the rules? Mm. The dude does exactly the same thing for this game. I listened to scary voiceover lady. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, once I, once I rocked in the fetal position for a little while, I looked at this when it first came out and I thought about Kickstarter and then I realised it was Queen, so you won't know what was going to arrive and when. But other than yeah. that, it actually looked quite interesting, but not quite interesting enough for me to kickstart. Now I've had a proper good look at it. It does hold interest, one. There are some interesting mechanisms in here. I'm wondering how much the luck of the quarry placement is going to affect the game on whether the movement rules are going to mitigate against any sort of just random luck with where the uh, stones are placed. I think the cleverness of the game comes in, as you mentioned in your description, in that you've got to almost gamble if you're going to go for those higher stones in, in the, the monument that other people are going to build the lower stones because you can very quickly find yourself with a whole rake of stones behind your screen and they're all minus points and you've not scored those big ones. So yeah, it's, it's a very interesting show. Do I, don't I, where do I start? Do you sort of almost build your own platform to make sure you've got something to lay on and then you, you're risking other people nipping in front of you. So lots of things, just with that one mechanism, lots of things to think about. I think, yeah, you've almost got that cooperative aspect going on where you're all building the same monument, but you're all trying to get your nose ahead of each other. But yeah, it's... I don't think that sounds cooperative. I think that sounds cutthroat and horrible. The cooperation is obviously you have to build the building together. But I suppose, yeah, it's not really, yeah, not... The use of the word cooperative, I think... Yeah, no, you're right, you're right, it's not, it's not. You're kind of, it's it's a forced cooperation. And you're still trying to jump one ahead. Okay, point taken. Just connotations of that word. When you're right, you're right. Rarely. Rarely, (laughs) indeed. I'm interested in this one, Ronan. I think it is going to be a treasure for me. Still got some slight worries about the quarry, etc. But I think, as we found out with Queen, things tend to work. I was very worried about Neptune before I played it. but No, no, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. (laughs) But it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. We've got a Queen special brewing as well. Now, we always have lots of specials brewing. Some come to fruition and some don't. But we're going to look at four recent Queen games maybe even five by the way Uh, Sean doesn't know that yet Uh, and discuss them later on so Neptune's one of those I'm really impressed now I didn't know anything about it I just knew it was Queen we've been looking at Queen games I saw it was on there and I thought oh yeah you know let's throw that in and have a look at the Queen game that's come out I think this is going to be ripe for dickery but not always deliberate dickery but not complete luck so the kind of 45 minutes of screen each other over oh no I can't believe that happened oh that's funny Oh, am I going to take a risk the way I move around this quarry or, or not? The fact you always have to go back to the outer edge, so you can have some useless moves, I think, by the end of the round, and you can leave people stranded and what have you. Yeah, I, I really do think that this has got a lot of potential. I'm going to say three words to you, Sean. Spiel des Yaris. It's got that kind of feel about it, hasn't it? It's got that sort of clever interaction. Uh, Under an hour, yeah. looks really pretty. The physical thing of building, the satisfaction of it being completed. Yep, easy to pick up, hard to master. Yep, it's got that kind of feel to it, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm really actually interested now in World Monuments. I will be getting this. This is a treasure for me. 
Okay, so we're going to move on to the very last one. And the game is Terraforming Mars. It's one to five players from Frix Games. I think Stronghold and Rebel.pl are also releasing it. Designed by Jason Frix Elias and his brothers who did the artwork. And they also did a game called Space Station. Just off the bat with this one, this game, I was trying to work out how best to describe it. And I found myself writing an almost essay. Let's just say that there's lots going on and I'm going to capture <laughs> hardly any of that. Because I'm really going to condense it down. Otherwise it just gets too long and too confusing. So players represent a huge corporation in the 25th century that have been tasked by the world government to terraform Mars and ready it for human habitation. Your three main tasks at hand are to raise the temperature, raise the oxygen levels and increase the ocean coverage. And every advancement in these areas will earn you a terraform rating point, which is also going to act as your basic income. The game incorporates tire lane, card drafting and hand management. In the game, players will have their own board to keep track of the numerous resources. Like there's loads of things going on that board. You will be able to purchase unique projects, which will give you individual goals and also help to give immediate bonuses. There are also standard projects, which you can also get. Players will compete on the game board, which is representing Mars, for the best locations to lay city, ocean and greenery tiles. You try to achieve milestones in your quest and you fund awards and when the required levels have been achieved Mars is considered terraformed and the players will add their basic terraform rating, their awards, their milestones, tiles on the board which some score in one per tile, others like cities scoring for each greenery tile adjacent and any other victory points on cards that you get throughout the game. And that's a really light overview of what appears to be a quite heavy game run. It does. It's thematically very appealing. The whole idea of this terraforming Mars. Mars is obviously a hot subject I think with it all brewing up in real life, you know, people looking, their eyes are more trained towards it. Obviously, it's coming up again more in fiction and, and different types of media and what have you. So, thematically, I'm there with you. It really looks deep and thinky. It looks like there's a hell of a lot going on. Now, they did another game called Wilderness where there was a lot going on. These guys are, are ambitious in what they try and design. Overall, I think it looks colourful and attractive, as you'd expect from those publishers. I've got a bit of concern about the whole... Have they reached too far and the fiddliness of it and too many options? You've got a massive range of projects you can do, some which will take most of your game to achieve and some which, you know, on a smaller scale. 200 cards, I believe. 200 cards, all the resources, all the iconography. When you look at the board, it's very, very busy. It's got scales and tracks and there are exceptions to a lot of their rules or points at which the rules change. They've tried to include a lot of those in the iconography and on the board. Now, my hope is that once you learn the rules and you start playing, all that information comes good. And you can look at it and you can track it because they've done it in an appealing way. Like the, the temperature track looks like a thermometer, but at certain points things happen. And the level of oxygen going from 0% you're trying to get across to I think 11% or whatever you... It looks attractive and it looks very clear that you will be able to look and go, right, the current oxygen level is 4%. I can see that in an instant. There's other information there, but I'm hoping the graphic design is good enough that 
to the initiated, it all makes sense. You know, the very best complicated board games manage to pull that off. It's something that this needs to pull off, Sean. Yeah, mate, you just... I'm sitting here looking at my points I was going to make, and you're like, oh, he's done that one. He's done that one. He's done that one. I'm wondering how strong the cooperation in the game really is. Uh, we talked about it just before. Is it forced cooperation? Are you actually trying to build something together? Do you need people to work with you? I'm not sure if that's actually there, so I wonder if it is a semi-cooperative. The huge economy, as I mentioned in my spiel there, that this resources multiple multiple resources that you you've got to keep track of try and work out the best use of I'm very very thinky rona mentioned the iconography it does look confusing it does look like it's going to be confusing in game the the icons on the cards and on the on the actual sheets themselves they just they don't look like they're very big they don't look like they stand out from each other which is it is a worry there are lots of elements in this game that need to come together almost seamlessly to make it a good game. At the moment, it's a dangerous game for me. It looks like it's got some fantastic ideas. The theming is fantastic. It's something I would love to play, but I'm going to say I'm too wary of it at the moment for it to be a treasure, so I'm going to say trap. <gasps> I'm going treasure. Mm. I think they're going to pull it off. So many of these deep games come out and they just go too fiddly that every now and then people work the magic and those are always real big hits obviously we're looking at um Uwe Rosenborg's new one The Feast for Odin apparently it's in a bigger size box than Caverna right <laughs> it's like it's gonna be massive you kind of know with him if he goes to something complicated he's likely to pull it off sometimes you've got to have a leap of faith and you've got to say I think they've done it and I think you know they've got a couple of games behind them I have faith that they've learned from those and that this is going to be something quite special. So, uh, yeah, treasure for terraforming Mars for me. Okay, there you go. Indeed. And that brings us to the end of this episode's games. Okay, there we have 14 games that we have tried to decipher as best we can. Probably not very well, but we do we do endeavour. Well, we just, you know, the, what's interesting about these is that it's actually more of a slog to prepare for these ones, even though we haven't played the games, because our preparation for normal episodes is to play games, and that's fun. But preparation for this is to search through the web and, and try and read rule books and watch videos and look at comments and, and, and try and put together an opinion based on really nothing. So it's funny. I like preparing for these uh, episodes, Sean, but they are quite hard work as well. Uh, they stress me out, especially when there's a game that you just can't find anything about and you're like, I've, I've committed to now researching this. Ronan's going to be doing his nut. Yeah. Don't ever choose smugglers again. Uh, class Turbo. Can't go wrong. Do you know what? I'm going to put some things in plasticine and roll them at you and we'll see what happens. <laughs> More fun than that game will ever generate. Okay, next time around, episode 62, we're going to continue. We're going to look at 14 more games. Hopefully it will be coming out, in terms of our timescales, relatively hot on the heels of this one. We've also got a review episode coming up and then we've got LobsterCon 
at the end of April. Now, there are tickets available. It's £5 to attend for any part of the weekend. If you go to the London Board website, if you want to come along and play games with Sean and I, you're very, very welcome. There'll be roughly 100 people there playing games all weekend in a hotel down in Eastbourne on the south coast of England. So if you can make it, it'll be great. Head to meetup.com slash London on board, and it's the featured meetup at the top of the page. Click on there if you wish to join us. I think we're going to have an episode about that. We've got the UK Games Expo coming up. Exciting times for the game pitch, Sean. Very exciting, Ronan. Can't wait. We've got a fun-packed gaming couple of months coming up. Oh, how wonderful. So, and, and you'll all hear about it. So thank you very much for listening to us this time and listen to 14 more games next time. Sean, see us out. Yes, thank you indeed. So we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there for wonderful gaming podcasts. Please go to td6.org for gaming goodness in audio, visual and written form. If you want to email us, we're at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page. We're on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. We have a guild on Board Game Geek, so please come along there. It's one of our favourite places to chat with everybody about the current subjects or anything you want to, really. And you can download our episodes on Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. Music by E. Aaron. Boy!